0: Some bonds last a lifetime, some bonds inspire confidence, and some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.
1: Right now, more than anything else, is for the Federal Reserve to be proven wrong. After Sedate Day, where the Dow declined 89 points, S&P back to 0.59%, NASDAQ lost 0.88%. The bull thesis is very simple. You have to bet the Fed tightens in December, and then says, you know what? We may be winning the battle against inflation, so let's wait and see what happens rather than committing to three more rate hikes. If they do that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get a huge rally to end the year. But some short-termers may not want to make that wager. The problem is it might be too painful the house of pain. to stick around while we wait for the Fed to change course and stop saying we need three more rate hikes next year. Who the heck is that kind of crystal ball anyway? Who's that perfect? Especially when we've had punk retail sales and a weaker consumer price index. Those are typically not what... Causes you to tighten. Historically, betting on the Federal Reserve to do the right thing when the economy starts slowing has been a risky proposition. Remember, I came out here in the summer of 2007 and ranted that the Fed... They know nothing! ...do nothing. I argued that things were about to get very bad if they didn't cut rates and cut rates aggressively. And you know what happened? Well, you know what? The Fed's Open Market Committee did the next time they met. They laughed at me. I've seen those embarrassing transcripts. Embarrassing for them, not this guy. Listen, I'm perfectly comfortable being an object of ridicule. Hey, I spent a lot of time on lacrosse, but I'm not okay with our central bankers snickering as they obviously send us over the precipice. Again, the current situation is nothing like 2007 where we had just gigantic systemic risk. I think we're looking at a small Fed-mandated slowdown, not a total financial meltdown. But it sure feels like the Fed is making the exact same mistakes, doesn't it? Jay Powell, our new Fed chief, is being what I call doctrinaire. He's not going over the data with a fine tooth comb. He's not talking to professionals who take the pulse of the markets every day, which is a little odd, because in a form of what Powell was, a private equity guy. Let me tell you what Powell would hear if he listened to the buzz on trading floors and in uh, research meetings. All over the country. He hear people saying that we're late in the cycle of economic expansion. Late in the cycle. I heard that all day today and all week last week. It's code for this is about as good as it gets. And we're now decelerating, maybe quickly. Take back of America, which reported just this morning. No, I love the They're growing their deposit base incredibly fast. Listen to some of these numbers. Average deposit balances rose $45 billion, or 4%, to $1.3 trillion. That's a gigantic number. That interest income increased by $7 or $9 million. That's a 6% uh, uh, boost to $11.9 billion. A near 25% of co-consumer deposit transactions were performed via their terrific mobile app. There's fintech for you. And most important, Bank of America's earnings per share rose by 43%. That's fabulous. Credit losses are incredibly low. Darn thing sells for just 11 times this year's earnings. You yeah, what what the stock do in this news? It fell nearly 2%. Why? Because everyone's terrified that the Fed is gonna slow the economy too fast. To the point where any additional money Bank of America makes from charging you higher interest will be offset by a slowdown in demand for loans. <laughs> I know many people believe that there won't be a slowdown because the economy is just so strong. I say the economy was just so strong. Emphasis on the past tense. Look, other than PNC, all the banks have reported very good quarters. But instead of rallying, their stocks have been punished. I don't think we should be oblivious to that. That's the stock market saying that things are going to get worse. And while the market often makes mistakes, I think the nearly unanimous verdict on the banks is pretty telling. In fact, the bank with the most domestic exposure, PNC, got completely obliterated. And the most international bank citigroup is the one that managed to rally, although it went down today. That is not a coincidence. They're overseas. Now the action today painted a mixed picture. The market hasn't been this oversold since the conclusion of the big February sell-off when you absolutely had to buy, the, buy, the, buy, 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 buy! I threw a boot camp teach in this weekend for the street, and we heard tons of positive ideas, many of which are down, down so much to staggering. Some of them are really attractive. By the way, we heard really good things uh, for everything from canopy growth. What a stock today, up seven. That's because Canada's going to legalize this week, right, Wednesday, uh, to Facebook, of all things. That stock hangs in there, hasn't lost much advertising. It's doing incredibly well with Instagram. We talked positively about the cloud kings, including Adobe. And after the close, it pre-announced a fantastic number. I think that's going to send up the cloud kings tomorrow because, alas, they all trade together. I like that the market took the news of the bankruptcy of Sears and Stripe. It could have been much more dire, even as we know that Sears has been in decline for ages. Home Depot and Stanley Black and Decker both got dinged on the news. Whirlpool actually rallied. The price of oil didn't really spike, despite the president's stern words for Saudi Arabia over the alleged murder of a dissident journalist. The president also threatened more tariffs on China, so the Chinese stock market went down again. And judging by what is happening after the close, I think that's going to happen. You know, I think the Chinese market is going to at least open down again. Uh, the pain didn't really spread to our market, though. Now, you could argue that any of these issues should have caused American stocks to get slammed, But the Dow and the S&P only went down a bit because they we're already so oversold. And the selling occurred in the closing minutes of the session, perhaps because the Chinese market looks to be down tonight. On the other hand, the NASDAQ remains rife with selling. Makes sense, given that it's still up nearly 8% for the year. Normally, a decline of this magnitude would wipe out that whole game. I expect the NAS to get more of a haircut, especially now that people are worried about Apple's Chinese business. Oh, Adobe's is a nice counterpoint, but when you see Apple down off a of Goldman note that business is slowing in China, this may just be day one of a rollover. Trust isn't taking action. Worst of all, though, is the stocks that actually went up today. The best performers were the kind of names you buy if you believe we are indeed headed into a downturn. <laughs> Fed mandated or not, my number one fear when I looked at, today, at today's action, it's the rally of the stock of Clorox. Don't get me wrong. You know I like Clorox a lot. Management is doing a terrific job. But when these kinds of consumer packaged goods, CPG stocks start roaring, that's the market telling you, look out. The Fed's going to cause a slowdown. That stock's on one of 52-week high, such as Clorox. Procter Gamble's been giving you anemic growth, yet it rallied more than a buck. Kimberly Clark, which I think could miss the quarter, was up a buck and a change. Will the Fed notice any of these patterns? Probably not. Now, we've seen this movie before, just like in 1998 and 2007. I think the Fed has made a judgment that its job is not to prop up stocks, so they're not going to pay any attention to the market. That's ridiculous. Look, no one, at least of me, is saying that the Fed's job is to p- put a bid underneath or make stocks go higher. That's just stupid. We don't want that. That's not their job. But if the Fed would just listen to what the stock market's saying, or I should say screaming, merely as a way of gathering data, Yes, data-dependent. They might realize that business is already slowing, in some cases, slowing pretty fast. When you have quality banks like J.P. Morgan openly saying they expect housing to decline 10% in 2019, I don't don't know how you could argue the economy's too hot with a straight face. They know nothing! Again, if I'm right that we're late in the business cycle, then many stocks will behave similarly to the banks, even if they report great quarters, their shares could go down. So why not sell everything now and wait for the Fed to admit that it's wrong? because the bottom line is that people have already been selling for weeks. You are not early if you sell here. And the moment the Fed changes its view or simply sends someone out to clarify Powell's comments, you'll be scrambling to buy stocks at prices much higher than they were right now. And that's because we may not have that thesis that we're going to have the end of the cycle. I'm counseling patience here. Oh, sure, if you want to raise cash, that's fine. You can take some gains. But I am recommending that members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club do some buying in to weakness, as the trust did today. So I don't want to be two-faced. I have to share that with you. Let's go to Mike in Vermont. Mike. Booyah, Professor Kramer. Thank you for giving me tenure. What's going on?
0: We're calling you from southern Vermont today.
1: So I'm beautiful. a first-time
0: caller, and thank you for taking my call. You're a great, great resource, this home gamer, sir, and I want you to know I watch your show daily. Thank you. Thank you very much. The other day you said something that got me wondering. You suggested that perhaps Square should be elevated to a Fang stock. I'm wondering how you feel about Square now that the CFO is leaving the C suite, as Jack is still their CEO and Twitter CEO.
1: Well I'm glad yes, me. Now first of all Sarah's going. Sarah Farr, is going to a terrific company next door. It's called Nextdoor. My wife's on it all the time. Okay, I think it's fantastic. I so yes, I do root for her because I think she's amazing. Second, they do have a big bench there, and Square is doing a lot of really interesting things at the register. So while the uh, loss is substantial, the stocks come down a lot. So I am no longer uh, yes. Is it, is it going to be a Fang stock? No. I mean I. I like Sarah too much. Her departure uh, hurt that much. She's the CFO. Is it a good company and a good stock? The answer is yes. I want to be really clear about that. Michael in Florida. Michael. Hey, Jim. How are you? Big booyah to you. Yes. Uh, You've been recommending Spotify, which along with tech, is down over 20% from its uh, recent highs. Uh, Is this thing going to run from here? I like uh, Spotify. I I like the fact that, look, I I like Spotify. I'm not deterred that Tencent pulled its offer or at least paused its offer. I think Spotify, but Spotify is a long-term situation. If you look at it overnight, it's going to drive you crazy. That thing trades so erratically. I just like that subscription business model so much that I'm saying, yeah, take the pain. Now, if you listen to the stock market, it's saying that the Fed might be further along in its work, then it even realizes, but don't fall victim to the idea that you should sell now and wait for the Fed to change its mind, because it's very hard to be that good. I say patience. Only Money Tonight, my power rankings continue. I'm going to tell you which energy companies could draft up some dollars in an uncertain market, but one that seems to say oil's going higher. Then, the brand behind Taco Bell and Pizza has been gradually making its way higher year after year. Like I said, there would be a reveal on Twitter. I'm going to tell you if Yum! Brands has found the recipe for success. And it's now the biggest cannabis company in the U.S. And I've got the CEO. Don't miss my exclusive with MedMen following last week's acquisition. Hey, did you see Canopy today? Stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in.
1: As far as the stock market's concerned, the world has changed in the past couple of weeks, changed for the worst. Ever since the Fed made it clear that they're committed to taking away the proverbial punch bowl, Wall Street's developed a serious hangover. As a result, stocks have come down hard. Sell, 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 sell. With the averages giving up the bulk of their gains for the year. At the highs in late September, the S&P 500 was up more than 10%. Now that's been pared back to a bit more than 3%. It's still kind of soggy, isn't it? That close was bad, despite Adobe's good news after the bell. But we finally had a sedate session today. So we need to think about what might be worth buying here into to the weakness that we got at the close. Last week, I started rolling out a new series. It's called the, uh, We looked at uh, stocks in the same way that people look at the NFL power rankings. To figure out how the team is playing right now, And believe me, thanks to my beloved Philadelphia Eagles giving us a blowout win against the lowly giants last Thursday, although I didn't listen to Kareem and I stupidly played golf over Wentz, I'm glued to these power rankings. I want to do the same thing with the stock market. That's why we're going sector by sector to highlight the stocks that seem best positioned right now at this very moment. We've already gone through three groups, communications uh, services, consumer discretionary, and consumer stables. And this week, we're going to cover the rest of the market. So what's next? Well, it's one that's on everybody's mind because of the price of it. Energy. Energy. For the past year, the energy sector has been full of quiet success stories thanks to the strength in oil and gas prices. Even after last week's pullback, crude's up 18% for the year. Wow, up 39% since 2017. That's one of the reasons why everyone's struggling so much at the company level. Now, While natural gas has only gained 10% year-to-date, it's really caught fire in the past uh, few weeks, rising more than 17% from its mid-September lows going into the winter. In short, after a multi-year downturn, energy, we've got to say it's back. Remember in February 2016, West Texas Intermediate Crude was selling for $28 a barrel. Then it spent over a year stuck in the 40s and 50s, and now it's at 71 What's driving this rally? On the one hand, the growth in demand for oil worldwide has been accelerating. On the other hand, supply simply hasn't been keeping pace. Now, some of the largest oil-producing countries, they've become downright unreliable. Libya is a failed state. Nigeria is going through a general strike. Venezuela is falling apart. At the same time, the president reinstated sanctions on Iran, and that took a lot of production off the table. Plus, we don't even know if OPEC and Russia have the capacity to produce enough oil to push prices down. And while there's a lot of crude sitting in the ground here in the U.S., we only have so much pipeline infrastructure to take that oil where it is needed. It's landlocked. Then there's the Saudi Arabia thing, the possible assassination of a Saudi journalist at the Saudi embassy in Turkey. The American oil stocks have been hammered because of the controversy. But that seems crazy to me. If Saudi Arabia ends up facing any kind of sanctions, that's good news for our oil producers. The group should be going higher, not lower. As for natural gas, it marches to its own beat. For years, prices have been held down by the fact that the American gas market is absolutely glutted with supply. But a month ago, natural gas prices started picking up again, in part because this year inventories are unusually low, heading into the winter, and in part because all the infrastructure we've been building to export this stuff has finally started coming online. Remember what Sharif Suki tells us, right? Uh, he was the guy behind um, Tellurian that was recently on, but more importantly, he was Shaneer he got sacked at Chenier by Carl Icahn. Ouch. All right. Thanks to this backdrop, when you look at the energy sector, there are some very big winners. Hess used to be a down and adder, up 39 percent for the year. Conoco has gained more than 34 percent. Holly Frontier, a refiner, has rallied 26 percent. And Anadarko has given you a 26 percent gain. Even the 10th best performer, EOG, is up 13 percent. The exploration production place and the refiners have been killing it here. But what about going forward? What are the best energy stocks according to the Kramer Power Rankings? And yes, we will keep you up on the Power Rankings just like they do in the NFL. First, my absolute favorite here is Marathon Pete. That's a gigantic oil refiner with a stock that's up nearly 18% for the year. When we spoke to CEO Gary Hemminger, who was so good at the beginning of the year, he explained that his company was making a fortune thanks to the growth of gasoline exports from the Gulf Coast, where many of his refineries are located. Then a few months later, Marathon announced that it was buying Endeavor. That's a refiner formerly known as Tesoro. It was a $23 billion deal that vastly expands this company's footprint, making Marathon the largest refiner in America. And that's huge, people. While Wall Street was initially pretty skeptical, they've come around. They've come around because this industry's on fire. The deal closed two weeks ago, and Marathon is now the undisputed king of the refiners. Management forecasting $1 billion in annual run rate synergies within the uh, first three years. And we'll hear more about the newly combined business at Marathon's Investor Day in December, which I expect to be a positive catalyst. You should buy the stock ahead of it. At a time when oil is trending higher thanks to global supply disruptions, you absolutely want to own the largest refiner in America. And even after its recent run, Marathon is still incredibly cheap. this sells for just 10 times earnings. And t- 10 years, 10 times next year's numbers, that's pretty cheap, uh, which should co- come up because Marathon's benefiting from this refinery landlocked oil that it buys and the low prices that it, it, it really, it, I don't want to say it screws these guys, but that's what happens. They buy it for very little and then they sell it at the world price. Wow. They capture a gigantic spread. Numbers are too low for Marathon Peach. Next up, there's ConocoPhillips. Now, this is an odd one. It's up 34% for 2018. Conoco is the world's largest pure play exploration and production company. I think it's a great proxy for the global oil and gas industry, as the company has a diversified portfolio of assets with major emphasis on the United States, where fossil fuels are cheap and plentiful and you don't have a lot of political risk. Let me put it this way. Conoco incredibly well run, and their average cost of supply runs to about $35 a barrel. Oh, man, their coin of money at 71. The last time the company reported, management raised their full-year production capital spending guidance by half a billion dollars. That's obvious confidence. And look, while the stock has run, it's down nearly 10% in the past two weeks. It's trading at nearly 13 times earnings. Conoco, right here, a buy. Third place, another refiner, Valero. While well, I prefer Marathon, the fact is that Valero remains the second largest player in the industry. And this is a terrific environment for anyone who's refining in an oil and gas business. Basically, we don't have enough refining capacity worldwide. And because these things ha- take ages to build, do you want a refinery in your backyard? So the refinery shortage could last until 2020 or longer. But like the others here... Valero sold off in recent months. It now sells for just 10 times earnings. I think it's a bargain. Remember, the market's been horrendous, people. It's been horrendous, and people think it's going to still be horrendous. And yet these are winners. How about the fourth, EOG, the big unconventional oil and gas producer? EOG's been a fracking pioneer that's allowed the company to grow its production like a weed, They've got some terrific acreage in very low-cost parts of South Texas. Thanks to last week's brutal sell-off, its growth oil stock is selling for 16 times earnings. I know that sounds high, but this has got the best growth file. I think it's absurd that its stock trades this cheap, especially when you consider the EOG is expected to grow at a 29% clip. That's like a tech company. Finally, I want to give you another producer, the phenomenal APC, Anadarko Petroleum. In all honesty, Anadarko would have been my number one pick here if not for one single thorny issue. The company owns 400,000 acres in the DJ Basin area of Colorado. The problem? On election day, Colorado is holding a referendum that would effectively ban new drilling in the state. I still like the stock enough to own it for my charitable trust. You can follow along by joining actionalertsplus.com club, but the risk is real. So you might want to wait until after the election before picking some up. Here's the bottom line. The world is a mess, and that's great for oil producers and refiners. I like Marathon Pete, ConocoPhillips, Valero, EOG Resources, and Anadarko in that order. Jack in California, Jack! Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick. Jack. All right, so what I'm saying is I... uh Bought the Transocean on the slow boat at 9. Halfway through the trip, we doubled down
0: at 10. Are we holding until
1: 19? What do you think? Uh, I think you're okay. Oil's up so much that companies are going to have to start drilling. It's ridiculous that they're not drilling And Transocean's going to get its share. Well, the only place where there's really big fines left are offshore. When are they going to take action? I think very, very soon. Okay. If you're looking for the best in breed in the energy sector, I've got them. Here are our power rankings. These are all investable, okay? Much more mad money ahead. If you love Taco Bell, KFC, or Pizza like I do, do not move. I'm taking a closer look at Yum! Brands to see if you can still plump up your portfolio. Uh, then, it's one of the most visible cannabis retailers in the U.S. With Canada set to legalize this week. I'm asking the CEO what's ahead for the overall market before we those stock smoking. And what happens when a manufacturer gets hit with a triple whammy, higher labor costs, higher steel costs, and higher interest rates? I'm gonna present the case. It's a study. Stay with Kramer.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Binge on 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, and everything from hit movies to the latest news, comedy, live sports, and more. Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV, and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.
1: Now that the dust has started to settle on last week's brutal breakdown, what can you confidently buy into weakness here like we got at the close? How about Yum! Brands? Here's a restaurant chain that we've liked for ages, the parent of KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. I've been a big backer of Yum ever since they spun off their Chinese exposure, Yum China, a couple of years ago. I certainly didn't want anything to do with that, and the stock has steadily worked its way higher. But honestly, the resilience of Yum has been kind of incredible. As tailwinds have turned into headwinds, the darn thing just keeps chugging. And I think last week's market-wide pullback has finally given me a nice little entry point in a stock that has been red hot. What makes Yum so tantalizing to me? Let me break it down for you. Ever since the breakup in 2016, I've been telling you to stick with Yum brands over Yum China. The Chinese business was always supposed to be the true growth vehicle here, but it slowed pretty dramatically out of the gate. While the heritage Yum has consistently done very well for itself. And not to toot my own horn, but that call has been very right. For example, in July of last year, I told you Yum! Brands was the better buy. Since then, it's up 20%. Yum! China lost about 13%. Wow. Then as it became clear that we were getting into an honest-to-goodness trade war with the People's Republic this spring, I doubled down, figuring that KFC Pizza Hut may not, might not be the best popular place to eat in China when our government's slapping all kinds of tariffs on Chinese imports. Sure enough, Yum! Brands has rallied nearly 5%. Yum! China's now down t- nearly 20%. So first off, I need to stop comparing Yum to its Chinese spinoff. Now I'm saying they really have very little to each other. I'm calling this fight. Yum Brands wins on points. End of story. Maybe Yum China can make a comeback, but until President Trump reaches some kind of deal with the Chinese Communist Party, highly unlikely. The stock is simply too darn risky. An American company that gets 100% of its sales from the PRC? I say, no, thank you. The truth is the comparison obscures more than it illuminates. At this point, Yum Brands deserves to be judged on its own merits. Because it's not just better than its ailing Chinese spinoff, it's one of the best restaurant chains I follow. Look at it like this. When Yum reported its latest results in early August, the numbers seemed initially disappointing, and the stock got hit. Then as the day went on and we listened to management's conference call, wow, Wall Street reassessed and realized the company's doing fabulously. That's when the stock exploded higher. It has not looked back since, aside from last week's market-wide meltdown. So what happened? Yum's actual results look solid, not fabulous, not incredibly strong, but solid in an atmosphere where it's hard to find solid. The headline numbers were mixed as the company delivered a 1% increase in worldwide same-store sales when analysts were looking for 2%. That's what caused the initial drop-down. Pizza Hut and Taco Bell both came in a bit weaker than anticipated. In fact, Yum's revenues decreased by 5% year over year. But thanks to surging margins, you know how much we care about those in the restaurant business, the company managed to post a robust eight cent earnings beat off of a 74 cent basis. Earnings per share growing by 20% year over year. Now that makes sense. Yum's been selling off company owned locations to franchisees, which is a much harder margin business model. Much, I'm sorry, much higher margin, because we know that from Domino's, right? In truth, it really wasn't a bad quarter. But it wasn't exactly a great year. Oh, and it didn't help that Yum's guidance for the full year was less than stellar. Management said they saw the same store sales coming in at the low end of the previous 2 to 3% forecast. Initially, as I mentioned, the stock got hit. But by the time the conference call wrapped up, it turned positive. And the quarter ended up kickstarting a 10% rally in less than three months. In fact, the stock hit a new all-time high at 92 and changed less than a week ago, right before the market-wide meltdown. So that's why I'm saying this may be your chance. What was so encouraging about this quarter upon further review? If you look under the hood, management proved that their transformation plan is working. With its refranchising refra- plan, Yum's less a same-store sales story and more of a cash flow and earnings story. And the company's franchise unit growth actually accelerated during the quarter, rising to the highest quarterly level in more than five years. Even better, while the same-store sales forecast was a little soft, the unit growth forecast was strong. They're planning for 4%, which is at the high end of the previous guidance. Plus, Yum laid out a bunch of new partnerships worldwide, helped them keep growing their store base by adding new franchisees. I thought this was supposed to be the slow and steady high-yield, or instead it's got the growth. Now, it's taken some time, but investors now understand that the story has changed. Yum has embraced an almost totally franchised business model. We love that model. We've always told you that. Remember, we had it with Popeyes, too. You have less exposure to the vicissitudes of economies around the world. The franchisees take on risk and pay you a much steadier revenue stream. And that's why the same store sales numbers are now less important than the new store growth. So when one of my absolute favorite CEO, Greg Creed, came on the conference call and explained that, and I quote, given the strong unit developments in the first half of the year, we expect net new unit growth to be at the high end of our guidance of 3% to 4%, end quote. That more than offset the fact that same store sales are coming in at the low end of the forecast. Plus, management expressed confidence in their long-term earnings forecast. They're looking to make at least three seventy-five per share next year, and this past quarter makes it very easy to believe in Yum's numbers. I think they can do it. The company has multiple ways to win. If the same-store sales stays tepid, they'll make it up by adding new franchisees. And if for the same reason the franchisees become less enthusiastic, YUM is yet another lever to push, a monster buyback. A week after the reporting Gums board authorized $2 billion worth of buybacks uh, through the end of the year, bringing the total au- repurchase authorization to just over $2.3 billion. Hey, that's 8% of the, of the darn share count. Oh, and they already retired 2% of their shares in the second quarter. If you buy back 10% of your shares, well, that's fantastic. You're going to see a terrific increase in earnings per share, simply because there are fewer shares. The bottom line, Yum stock screamed higher as management made investors believe in the refranchising story. But then last week, the whole market got slammed into a retaining wall 60 miles an hour. I think you're getting a rare pullback in a stock that's been marching steadily higher for years. I would be a buyer of this incredibly well-run company into any additional weakness. Remember what I'm trying to do here in this show. I'm trying to show you that the world's not over. Put the light on some companies that are doing very, very well. Okay, let's go to Charles from our home state of New Jersey. Charles. Hi, Jim. Great to talk with you. Same. Thank for taking my call. Thank you.
0: I have uh, an observation and a question. Okay. observation is thank you, first of all, for mentioning, mentioning uh, CGC a week and a half or so ago. I got into it pretty well and enjoyed the ride today. I got it in, the, in the 40s.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh,
0: the question I have is I've been invested with the Cracker Barrel for a long time now, mostly for dividend purposes. Okay. And it just seems to be sort of lying around. And I've read some negative things saying that they don't expect much improvement. Some say due to the cost of labor now, uh, labor prices going up. Uh, What's your take on that? Should I? I mean, look, I I think they're hurt both by
1: labor costs going up, but also for gasoline going up. So people feel there won't be as much travel. I agree with you. I think it's a very good company. But I don't have a catalyst. And there are other. Uh, There are other uh, restaurateurs that I really prefer here. So I don't want to endorse Cracker Barrel. I think it is really too hard a call. But congratulations and thank you for those kind words. You made a lot of money. I'd be a buyer of Yum on any additional weakness. I know it's not down a lot, but that's a sign of strength, people. This is a rare entry point into a winner. That's what I like, buying winners. Much more mad money at the Apple Store We just became the biggest U.S. marijuana company following a $662 million acquisition last week. I'm talking to the CEO of MedMed to find out what's ahead. Then, how a little-known company out of Lafayette, Indiana, could offer a key example of what the Fed is really up against. And all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
0: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk
1: on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE. Do you want to hijack the, the show? Carl Icahn, should we hijack Scott's show? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Are you, you're going to be on that show too? Or everybody's going to yeah, be? Oh yes, Monday. Cool. You do that. Everybody's in on it.
0: It all starts at 9 A.M. Eastern.
1: officially legalizing marijuana later this week. There's been a lot of focus on the Canadian cannabis companies that stand to do very well for themselves. But this story is about more than just Canada. Here in the U.S., we've seen legalization pass in state after state. These days, nobody even bats an eyelash at medicinal marijuana. I think legalization at the federal level may happen sooner than many people expect. Which brings me to MedMen Enterprises, a grower and retailer of marijuana that operates in California, Nevada, and New York. These guys have realized that there's a market for a high-end marijuana experience. They have a gorgeous showroom on Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan, although you do need a note from a doctor to shop there. MedMen's trying to make cannabis classy, and it's working in California, where they have a full state-level legalization. MedMen's sales per square foot exceed those of the Apple store. These guys want to be known as the Apple store of weed, but they may be selling themselves short. That said, MedMen's stock has soared since it started trading in Canada earlier this year. And even with the big acquisition of Pharmacan, the company announced last week, which led them to expand into Illinois, Maryland, and Massachusetts, I think it may be too hot to own. But i like you to know these companies, the stories we're following. Last week, I got a chance to check in with Adam Bierman. He's the co-founder and CEO of MedMen. MedMen Enterprises, full name. Take a look. Adam, huge deal, stock for stock. Tell us what it means for MedMen, particularly the fact that now you're much bigger than you were when you were on last time.
2: Well, look, it's a blockbuster deal. Uh, we couldn't be more excited about it. But I think it's, it's important to understand how we look at everything, right? We okay. look at everything from three buckets. We have the business that we're building, which is MedMen. We have the industry that we're building, which is cannabis. And then we have an asset class that we're building. And on the asset class, we're trying to build an asset class in cannabis that's investable and accessible for retail investors all the way up to big institutions. And I think when you talk about this deal, it's- They're buying PharmaCan. Buying PharmaCan for about $685 million. I think this deal moves the needle significantly in all three of those buckets. So we couldn't be more excited.
1: Okay, so what states will you be in after the deal
2: closed versus where you are now? 12 states total uh, at the end of this deal, 66 licensed retail stores, uh, 13 factories. Um, and, you know, what's really great about this deal is we've been really focused on California, Nevada, and New York from right. the outset, eight years. Those are the brands where those are the markets where brands will be built. Um, and as we look into, you know, expanding our footprint, the markets Pharmacan is in are the exact markets we were targeting. And so what this allowed us to do is leapfrog that next stage of our growth so we can mm-hmm. just hunker down and focus on execution. Which are the best markets to be in in this country? California, Nevada, and New York.
1: Okay. And, and why uh, talk about California? Because it's a big part, it's a big economy, so therefore it's big for MedMen.
2: Well, it is. I mean, uh, Callen's latest uh, projections are it's an $11 billion cannabis market. Okay. That in and of itself should say it all. Um, but, you know, look, California is where brands are built, where trends are made, right? California right. exports its culture, its politics. You know, California exports everything all over the world. And so for that also to be married to an $11 billion opportunity, for it to be our backyard, Um, You know, that that, that has been our focus. I think we were really proud at the end of Q2. We represented 6% of all the sales in the state of California with only half of the retail stores that we plan to open having been open.
1: Okay, so, Adam, when you buy an acquisition from Pharmacan, you're getting to be a bigger and bigger retailer. I know you're souped to nuts, but will you start reporting same-store sales so we have an idea how each store's doing?
2: We will, absolutely, yes. We have our first earnings call coming up. Maybe you'll call in.
1: I will definitely okay, call it. great. You're um, and, and you feel confident that th- the trajectory is still very strong?
2: It is really strong. I mean, and it's the unique, you know, aspect of this entire industry. You know, retail is, you know, the place to be because of the defensibility due to the zoning restrictions and the limited number of licenses. And so, yeah, retail isn't going anywhere. I think retail is the permanent moat opportunity for this industry. And, you know, that's where we'll continue to be focused.
1: Why does it take so long between when a state uh, votes to have uh, cannabis uh, legal, and then you start seeing dispensaries. What's the hold of? Is there regional battles? Are there mayors who can stop it? School boards? Because it always seems like, well, they just voted, it's big, and they,
2: but they don't just turn on a switch. Yeah, progress takes time. Right, and I think what yes, you've seen, enemies though. I think I think what you've seen, you know, over the last over the time that we've been in this industry, mm-hmm. is that gap between let's go to it actually working is you know decreasing uh, exponentially, right? And so, but look, you know, I, I wouldn't expect anything to be overnight. That's just not how our country works.
1: All right. Well, it's speaking of overnight, I, sh- I have to believe then that maybe we should try to temper the optimism by all the people who are trying to buy Canadian. Uh, pot companies ahead of October 17th. That may not be such a wise strategy. Why not take a longer-term view and not buy ahead of that? Because there'll be October 18th, October 20th. I mean, it may not be the be-on-end-all-day.
2: Well, as we were talking before we started this, right, you know, I'm not, I'm not focused on anything short term. And I don't right. think that as the CEO of this company, you know, that would, be, that would be good form, right? We look at everything in regards to, you know, four real categories. Right. And for us, it's team and infrastructure, it's assets, it's balance sheet, and it's investability. And as long as we're focused on those four things, two years, five years, ten years down the road, we know we'll be in the spot we need to be in. I know there are a lot of traders out there, right. and you're talking about buying things ahead and front running and this right. and that. You know, we don't focus. We don't we don't get involved with that. Look, the U.S. market is where it's at. This is a seventy five, 100 plus billion dollar opportunity. We're in the really early innings. And, you know, what's really awesome is we're watching. We're a part of this. We're watching the birth of an industry. Right. And that's that's why we've been focused on it. last
1: question. I ask everybody in this industry size of the markets that are disrupted globally by cannabis. What do you think? Uh, You would know better than me.
2: All I know is that, you know, cannabis uh, and the legalization of cannabis makes the world a safer, healthier, happier place. And as a result, I think you'll have people, you know, replacing other things that they use to make themselves feel better and make themselves and allow themselves to live a better life. They'll replace that with cannabis uh, over time.
1: Well, I certainly agree with you. Okay, that's Adam Bierman, CEO of MedMen, which just got much, much bigger and could be a dominant force in retail in the United States. Man, money's back. (inaudible) This time! And then the lightning round are. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, time for the night round. going to start with Jacob Florida. E Jacob! What's going on, Jim? How's everything? Oh, That's pretty good. Thank you for asking, Jacob. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. So, let's get down to it. All right. Microsoft has been very resilient, I think we could say, during the sell-off. But... Do we have the stamp of approval to go long? Uh, yeah, the stock has had just a monster run. Uh, my child trust owns it. We've been telling club members it's fine. I got a conference call coming up on Thursday. Well, I will detail why I think it can still be bought, but only half a position. Let's go to uh, Manuel in Illinois. Manuel. Yeah, I'm calling about UTX,
2: United Technologies. Yeah, we need it's to see up. this
1: deal close. They need to be able to buy Rockwell Collins. That's the problem. The stock is stuck. If they're able to buy it, it's held up by the Chinese. The stock is going to roar 15 points. Otherwise, got five points downside. How about Dave in Illinois? Dave. Dr. Kramer. Dave. Hey. Hey, Everest, Lisa, and I welcome new companion animal, Marley. Yeah, Marley looks real good. Yeah, slept in bed last night. Didn't make any noise. He's a real sleeper. What's up? Jim, recently Medtronics uh, solidified their dominance in spine surgery by acquiring Mazar Robotics. Your thoughts on MDT? Oh, I like that deal. And by the way, Medtronic buy, buy, holds up buy, better buy, than buy, almost buy, any buy, stock buy, buy, in this buy, market. Buy, buy, buy. What does that tell you? It tells you to buy it, not sell it. Let's go to Jason in Michigan. Jason. Jimmy C, I am calling from the Motor City. Honor and a privilege to speak to you. A right. Motor City slapstick comedy tour, blah, 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 blah. booyah! People dude, tell me great things about Detroit since we were there last in 2011. I got to get back there. What's happening? It's going great. And before I tell you my defense stock, I want to give a shout out to my wife Amy, who is stationed at Vance Air Force Base to become a pilot. Thank you for serving. My, she's a great girl. Great. My stock. Is Raytheon. All right, simple, I am sick R-P-N. and tired of people selling the Raytheon. The Travel Trust owns it. Let me just ah, tell you something. My, my, my. Notice the president mentioned it. He's not going to start cutting off his nose despite his face, and that includes Raytheon, mentioned actually by name in the 60 Minutes interview. Anthony, New York. Anthony. Hi, Jim. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, thank you for all the sanity you bring to an insane market. There you go. Um, my question is about Zylinx. X-L-N-X. The had a very, very good quarter. I like it. Now, a lot of tech stocks are being sent down because of uh, a couple of stocks that are being hit. Amazon's being hit after the bell. Uh, Apple's being hit after the bell. There's a big sell program in the NASDAQ. Uh, I don't know why after what Adobe did, but just be aware it's going to be included. Jeffrey in Illinois. Jeffrey. Hi, Jim. A big whoop ya for you for all the family pets that bring joy to their owners, no matter What's the market size? Thank you. Uh, My question is about Cisco Systems. You had the CEO on a couple weeks ago. Yes. And he gave a very positive outlook towards their growth. And I was just wondering ahead of their earnings next week. Would you buy so? Yeah, four? I would. I think the stock is way too low. It's come down a buy, lot. Buy, buy. It kind of doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I think it's a buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: As much as I've been criticizing the Fed lately, the truth is, I agree they are in a tough spot. So let me try to put it in perspective. We'll start with the disconcerting story of Wabash National, one of the largest truck body manufacturers in America, specializing in vehicles designed for what's known as the last mile—trucks that deliver right to your door, the sweet spot of e-commerce. Ha hot, ha hot, hot. The demand for trucks has been off the charts. So Wabash saw its stock surge from the mid-teens when President Trump was elected to 26 at the peak this past January. Bye 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 bye. But then Trump started getting tough on our trading partners, rolling out his steel and aluminum tariffs. And Wobbush's raw costs went through the roof. (sighs) On top of that, the company's based in Lafayette, Indiana. And Indiana now is one of the tightest labor markets in the entire country, as we learned, when Thor Industries came on the show after the summer. Thor makes RVs in Indiana, very similar to making trucks out there. And they were adamant that the labor shortage and the tariffs have really hurt their bottom line. And look, it's not going to get better anytime soon. While demand for Wabash's truck bodies remains strong, the company's having trouble finding new workers. So they'll need to pay a ton of overtime, which is great if you work for Wabash, but not so great if you own the stock. As for the tariffs, there's no end in sight. What else do we need to consider? Last week, we spoke to Barry Stern. Look, He's the CEO of Starwood Property Trust. It's a real estate investment trust that provides financing for all kinds of new building. And he told us the construction is slowing. Why? Because the price of steel has made it uneconomic to build. Turns out that when the government effectively raised the price of steel by 25%, businesses buy a lot less steel. No wonder the steel stocks have been faltering. They were down terribly today. So now put yourself in the shoes of the Fed. They want to cool the economy with one more rate hike this year and three next year to save the Wabashes of the world from a spiral of wage inflation. But the Fed can't create new workers to loosen up the labor market. All they can do is make it more expensive to borrow money, which will reduce the demand for truck orders and hurt companies like Wabash even more. And it could be even worse for the construction companies that Sternlich deals with. You know what those rate hikes won't do, though? They won't roll back the president's 25 percent tariff on steel. So here's how I see this playing out after that vicious pre-announcement on Friday. Wabash will get fewer orders, something that's always bad for business. Yeah, they won't need to raise wages, but that's because they won't need to make as many trucks. It's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. You'll see the same thing for Thor Industries, as higher mortgage rates mean lower orders for the manufacturers of mobile homes. Sell, sell, sell doesn't help that Thor's already being plagued by higher gasoline prices, another cost that can't be brought down by the Fed. Oh, and as far as Sterling's construction clients, more rate hikes will make it even less economical to build anything. Now, I have some sympathy for Jerome Powell. He's looking at labor costs. He doesn't want all that over time because it is inflationary. But I say it's a small price to pay for a strong economy. Let's call it a consequence of full employment. Why not just let those workers make a little more money? What's so wrong with that? Companies like Wabash and Thor will sort it out. They got that big tax cut anyway. Meanwhile, the tariffs are already slowing down the economy, so the Fed may not need to take much more action anyway. But I don't expect Powell to listen to me, so we're left with a situation where just when a down-and-out manufacturer finally has some hope for a big year. It's gotten hit with the triple whammy of higher labor costs, higher steel costs, and higher interest rates. To me, these rate hikes seem like an awfully high price to pay to break an inflationary cycle that it's mostly government-made to begin with. Sell, 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 Stick with Sell, sell, sell. A lot of selling at the end of the day was related to this. It was related to Apple. And a call that Goldman made, which said that China is slowing. Now, of course, the biggest fear we have, if you're an Apple shareholder, is that the Chinese government is starting to put let's say, a damper on Apple sales by suggesting that maybe people shouldn't buy them. That sent down a lot of the paang stocks after the close. Now, we have to wait for more information. I do think that Apple's an inexpensive stock. We've liked it forever. But just be ready when you start seeing some downgrades, because that's what I think we're going to get. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just few, right here on, on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
0: Some bonds last a lifetime, some bonds inspire confidence, and some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.